a brand new series called Dollars and Cents. Dollars and Cents. And, uh, and I know you're know, like, oh, wait, wait a minute, big boy stuff. Yeah, we're talking about money. We're going to be talking about tithes and offerings this morning. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says about finances. And, 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 and we're going to dive into this thing. Now, I got I to gotta tell you that... Um, that I, I love steak and potatoes, and, and, and I, if I just ate steak and potatoes, and that's it all of my life, my, my belly would be happy, my mouth would be happy, but my body itself would not be healthy. It would not be happy because you have to have a balanced diet. You know what I'm saying, right? So, so listen, you don't like those Brussels sprouts. Neither do I. I don't like cauliflower. I don't like any of that stuff. But, um, but you got to eat it to stay healthy, right? You got to have a, a balanced diet. It's fun to come to church and talk about the love of God and, and the grace of God. And, and let's talk about missions and let's talk about this. But, but when it comes to some of the topics in, in, in the Bible, some of us can get a little bit um, uh, nervous. And so when I talk about money and tithes and offerings, there are some people in the room that are like, yeah, preach it, Pastor Matt, because we have been tithers and we understand the blessing that comes with it. And then there are some people in the room that, that you're, your butt cheeks just tightened up a little bit when I said that it's, it's time to talk about money. They're like, oh no, man, I should have slept in this morning. I should have missed this one here. You know, why do they call money dough? Because everybody needs it. <laughs> that was like, I got a good one off of that one. You know, whenever I have to borrow money, I only borrow money from a pessimist because they never expect it back. You know, a friend of mine won $3 million in the lottery a couple of years ago, and he says, I'm going to give a quarter of it to the church. And I was like, that is awesome, yeah. And his check for 25 cents came in. <laughs> and I saw a homeless guy on the street, and he says, hey, one, this could, one day this could be you. And I looked at him, and I put my money in my pocket, and thought, I'm going to keep it just in, just in case. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> You know, we got to eat a balanced diet. We've got to have this thing. And, and as we move through the Word of God, the Word of God has a lot to say about finances and, and a lot to say about our resources. And, 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 and see, God is the one who blesses all of us with these resources. And so what are we going to do with it? There's a biblical pattern and a biblical standard by which we handle stuff. And, and, and so I, I, here's the thing that happens. If you ask people in our country, most people don't feel rich, but we are. And if you ask people in our country, do you feel generous? They say that they, they think that they're generous, but, but really, we aren't as Americans. I mean, it, we have a different standard of wealth and generosity than what the Bible calls for wealth and generosity and what the world says is wealth and, and generosity. You see, giving and being generous are, are two different things. But see, here's the thing within wealth is, that, is this, is that if you drive a car, if you have a vehicle at your disposal um, inside of your household, depending on which report you look at, um, you are between six, top 6 and 9% of the wealthiest people in the world if you have one vehicle. Now, what if you have two vehicles in your household? Wow, now, now that pushes you even above. You're closer into that 3% category or even higher um, in, in, than a 3% of, of the wealthiest people in the world. Sometimes as Americans, we can look to our left and to our right and just see our immediate surroundings and feel like we're just not that very wealthy because uh, we, we compare ourselves to other extremely wealthy people. Maybe you've had this experience, but I've had this experience. I've gotten into my vehicle, and I've left the house, and I've driven past restaurants, multiple restaurants, five, six, seven, eight, maybe even ten restaurants, to get to the restaurant that I actually wanted to eat at. 
And I come in, and somebody greets me at the door, and I have to wait a couple minutes, but I, you know, and, and I finally get a chair, and then I pick what I want off of this massive menu of things. Somebody cooks it in the back, brings it to me, sets it down, I eat it, I push the plate away, I pay the bill, and I walk out. Somebody else does the dishes, somebody else cleans it all up. I get back into my vehicle, I drive back down the road, past all the other restaurants that I didn't want to eat at. I come up to my house, and, and maybe, maybe this is you, you, you come up to your, to your house, and I I hit a button in my car and a door in my house opens up and I have a mini house on my house just for my car, right? And I, and I can pull in to the, the, the house for my car. I, not only do I have a roof over my head, um, but I have a house, a roof over my car's head as well. And for some of you, you have two spots where you can park two cars inside of your mini house, or even three spots where you can park park three vehicles inside of your own vehicle's houses. And you get out of your house, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, I have two spots that I maybe could fit two vehicles in, but I've accumulated so much stuff that my stuff is in my car house and my car now sits on the outside of my house. But then you go into the inside of your house and then it's perfectly climate controlled. If you want it to be 72 degrees, you put the buttons and 72 degrees your house is. You can control it in the dead of winter at 72. In the heat of summer at 72, unless you have a swamp cooler. And then maybe at 78, you know, or, or whatever else it might be, right? Because we have swamp coolers here. But if you have refrigerated air and you're willing to pay the bill, you just set the thing to whatever you want. 55 degrees here we go, baby, you know, and so you can see my breath in the summertime in my house. Not really, I can't do that, but, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like you have climate control in your house, climate control in your house. You have a refrigerator, you can put the leftovers because they gave you so much food you couldn't even eat it all. You put it into the refrigerator so that you might be able to eat it later. Of course, you've had all this food and the food comes in, it has to go out. So you have a, a special room in your house. Maybe you even have two or possibly three rooms in your house where you can go um, to the bathroom and you can hit a button and your stuff goes away. Your stuff goes, I mean, it's a miracle. Listen, there are people all over the world that are food insecure. They're not sure where their next meal is going to come from. And when they do have stuff that they need to deposit, they don't put a button and go, they dig a hole, they put it in the hole and then they bury it. You know, and the stuff doesn't go away. It's still there. And so we as Americans live in this world where we live in this upper echelon of wealth. And when you look at a global and and, and a global thing, which is so funny to me, because even inside of our own culture and society, we, though all of us, the one percenters of the globe fight about who against the one percenters of our one percent. Right? You, you watch the TV and people are upset about the people who have amassed massive amounts of wealth inside of our country. And, and there's the middle class is almost like almost an angst against those who have created massive, 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 unfathomable amounts of wealth in their life. And, and I wonder what the rest of the world thinks as they look at the one percenters kind of hating against them own selves. Or maybe the one percenters saying, I can't afford what I want because everyone here is in the global one percent. In fact, if you make $25,000 a year or more in your household income, you are in the top 2% globally. Household, household income, right? So our standard of wealth as Americans is off the charts. It's off the charts. Oh, my car is, is 10 years old. My car is 15 years old. Gee, I don't know. It's kind of getting up there in age you go to other countries, our, our reject vehicles are rolling the streets of other countries because that, it's, it's a nice car for them, right? And so our level of wealth is at a whole other thing. So sometimes we don't feel wealthy as Americans 
But guess what? We are. We really, really are. God has blessed you and I in ways that, that um, are just unbelievable. And once we pause and reflect on that and say, you know what? God really has blessed me. Yes, my car may be older. Or maybe my, my garage, I only have a four-car garage and I really wanted that eight-car garage. And no, nobody else? I'm kidding. I don't have that either. But, uh, but you know, like, like there's levels of things because we can drive down the street and we can always find somebody who has more money than us. Always. You can always find someone who has a little bit bigger house, a little bit nicer car, one more space of garage storage, even though the cars are in the driveway. And you can, you know what I mean? Like you can always find somebody who has more when you start comparing yourself to those who are around you. But when you stop and reflect and say, this is all that God has blessed me with, guess what? Your attitude of gratitude can be something that we understand the wealth that God has given each and every one of us. So we don't feel rich, but we are. We feel generous. But you know what? We're not. As Americans, we're not. And, and here's what happens is, is a tornado blows through something and we text a number and give 10 bucks. And we're like, yeah, I'm generous. And, and something else, catastrophe happens, we send somebody 20 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Something happens in, in natural disaster and, we, and we, we will spontaneously give some finances to help in the needs of those things. But, but here's what the stats will show um, all throughout the United States. This is what we have is that Americans, on average, average American gives 2.8% of their money away. 2.8%. We're not generous. We're not even tipping. It's like, it's like the scraps of what we have in our budget somehow trickle out the back door. I mean, you can accidentally spend 2.8% of your money right now. You can take your family out to dinner and spend 2.8% of your weekly income at a restaurant right now. You, you ever do that? You go to the, the mall and you start shopping and, and you're walking through and you think, oh, I need new tennis shoes. And you go look and, and if you want good shoes, they're, they're, they're expensive, like running shoes, you know, you, they're 50, 80, 100 bucks, 100, well, there's $200 running shoes out there if you're that much of an enthusiast. You, but you can, you can walk to the mall and spontaneously spend 2.8% of your weekly income without even thinking about it. You, we all do it. It happens, right? So to say 2.8% is generous really isn't. That's kind of a rounding error in our budget. And you think, well, if I just had more money, then I would be able to give a little bit more. That's, that's what people think. Well, I just, I just can't because, you know, budgets, budgets tight. Finances are, are tight, right? But, but here's what the stats show is that in, in our country, if you make over $100,000 a year as a, ha- as a household income, over hundred a year, um, which most people would say you're doing pretty good. That's a pretty solid income for a family, $100,000 a year. They don't give 2.8% away. They give 2.6% away. It actually goes down when people start making even more money. Now, the dollar amount might be what's more, but the percentage actually drops as, the people, as people make more and more money. But here's what I know. As Christ followers, we're people that are going to lead the way in generosity. Like, that, that's what I know is that as, as Christ followers, we don't live like the world lives. We don't have the same values that the world holds. We don't, we don't do because we live a different way because we're not living based on what everybody around us is doing. We compare our life to the word of God and say, we're going to live at a standard that, that maybe seems illogical to the world around us because we're people who are going to be Christ followers and have a Bible-based Christian life and doing what God commands of us to do. And every few years, this is something that, that we, we've got to talk about. It's because money is in the Bible. And, and this is what happens in our world 
versus what happens um, in, in the Bible. So in our, in our world, we get stuck in something called a scarcity mindset. You can Google it. A scarcity mindset. It's something that, that happens um, all around us, and, and we sometimes refer to it as paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck living. And it's a scarcity mindset. And, and what happens is, is we say things like, I wish I could do more, but I can't. And you can never seem to get ahead. And, and so here's what the scarcity mindset happens. God provides, right? You get paid, something happens, you get some income, and we consume. And we consume off of that, 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 that provision from God. And then it goes into we lack because we've overconsumed. I don't know how we can even do it as Americans, but we actually will spend more money than we make. I mean, thank you, Visa, MasterCard. It allows that to happen. Uh, but we will spend more money than we make. So we will not just consume, but actually overconsume consume um, the, the provision of God. And then we find that we lack. And that lack creates fear in our hearts. And so now we're afraid that we're not going to have enough in order to live. And so that fear starts to, fall, starts to foster. And then what happens is we medicate that fear. We self-medicate that fear by consuming. Because when we consume something, it allows us to feel for a moment, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay because I'm afraid that this is going to happen. And, and, and you self-medicate. And, and that's why the whole shopping therapy or retail therapy becomes a thing because then all of a sudden your consumption helps medicate your fear, which then goes right back into the lack because we're using the consumption to be able to satisfy our fear of, 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 of lack, which then is created by the, the lack. You can see the cycle that starts to happen in each, every one of our lives. In fact, every one of us here in the room, you've, you've either experienced this very deeply and intimately in the past, um, or maybe you've experienced this in, in, in the present, or, or maybe you've just seen others that have struggled in, in this area. But, but this is what happens inside of our culture is a scarcity mindset, consume to lack, to fear. Back to consumption. But see, because of what God did, we can do something different. We don't have to live this way. And you just don't have to live in the cycle of paycheck to paycheck. And so I want to start off today by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And I want to start here for a reason. Because I don't want this message and I don't want this topic to come across like I'm trying to beat somebody up. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone. And so I want to start with this so that we are all on the same page. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, if, if you feel like under compulsion and like, like gee, Pastor Matt, you're like leaning on me and I feel like I need, you know, listen, don't, don't give. I want you to go with, by yourself or with your spouse, if you're married or whoever's in, in with your budget, pray, ask God, God, what would you have me to do and be able to, be, be able to give in a cheerful manner. It needs to be done in, in that way because God loves a cheerful giver. I don't want to manipulate you, but in the same sense, I do need to teach you what's in the Bible. Right? As a pastor of a church, I need to teach you what's in the Bible so that we can, um, as believers, understand what God says and be able to do it. Because I, I'm going to show you something here today that, that I think, if you are not a tither, may change um, your perspective on, on what this is. And so we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is our main text this morning. And in Malachi chapter 3, this is, this is, what, um, this is what the Word says about this. Now, verse 6. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. I'm good. I'm happy with that, aren't you? I'm glad God doesn't change. You know what I mean? Like, like we got to be able to anchor our souls to something. And I'm glad that we can anchor our souls to the rock that is Jesus Christ, right? 
so he does not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. There is a curse that comes when you don't tithe. There is a curse that comes when you are robbing from God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want any curses on my finances. I don't think you want curses on yours either. Verse 10, it says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore, thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, put me to the test. Go look in your Bible, and if you start looking, you're not going to find many places where God says, test me on this. Right? Like, this is a place where he says, test me. In fact, as far as I can see, it's the only place where he says, test me. Test me. Come on. Try this out. Test me. See that I will not provide for you. Because I really believe that God wants to provide. He wants to have a blessing on your life. And, and there's a blessing that comes with this. And he literally says, try me. Just try me. In verse 11, it says, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. He will rebuke the devourer for you. Do you have a devourer in your field? Do you ever find yourself with like catastrophe after catastrophe? You just can't quite make it work. It just seems like something's constantly devouring what's going on in your life. You might have a devourer in your field. Can't get ahead. There's more months than money. It's just disaster after disaster. I got to tell you, that I can, I can tell you stories after stories after people in our church. I won't embarrass you. But I can tell you stories of people that aren't in our church. And I want to tell you one about a real estate agent friend of mine. And um, for this sake, I'm going to say his name is, is Johnny. And, uh, and Johnny is a guy who, who gave his life to the Lord back in 2017. And, uh, and, and so he, he's been doing okay in real estate and selling some houses, paying his bills. Things have been okay. Uh, 2018, his pastor, he doesn't go here, his pastor taught about tithing. And he said, this is, doesn't seem logical. I don't think I can do this. But throughout the course of 2018, he was kind of wrestling with and studying and looking. And, and then at the beginning of 2019, he, he, you know, he and I have been friends for a few years. In the beginning of 2019, he told me, he says, you know what, I'm going to give this tithing thing a shot. 100%, all in, full tithe. I'm just going to do it. And I'm, the Bible says, test me. I'm going to test him. He had his biggest year of, on record as an agent this past year. And not only that, he had the highest profit percentage in his real estate business than he's, than he's ever had. And it's not just the dollars, but it was the percentage of profit. Everything kind of kicked through for him in the middle of that. And I can tell you that it works in other people's lives. I'll tell you a story about my own life. Amber and I have been tithing since the day we got married, I've, even maybe before. Now, I'll be, I'll be honest, there, there were a few seasons in life where we stopped for a short time. Does it make me a bad person? Is it, no, no, no. Listen, listen, we all slip up from time to time. But there's times where we, we stop for a short time, but we jumped right back on it. Now, did I make a tally of every dollar that maybe I had owed God over the last? I didn't, honestly. I just said, you know what? Fresh start, right here. 
and, and we, we jump back on. And, and so in our life, we've always seen this. Now, I was in business with a friend of mine. We had an electrical company, and we were um, working through, and anyhow, the business started to slow down just a little bit, and then we found ourselves not making as much money off of the business, and it was having some struggles, and we were praying and asking God, like, God, what are we going to do in our business to be able to, you know, what's happening? And, and we're both believers. We go to two different churches. And, and so my, my business partner and I, we sat down. We've been praying over the business. And then I said, well, I'm tithing on my income. Are you tithing on your portion of the income? Yeah, no, we're both. Yeah, I'm tithing. We're tithing. Okay. And then somehow the conversation came around to, well, are we tithing off of the business's income? Because maybe I don't have a devourer in my personal field, but maybe there's a devourer that's happening in my, in my business's field, right? And so we started tithing off of the business income, the gross income off of that electrical company. And I can tell you that here's what happened is that the amount of confusion that happened went way back, way down. And, and, and in construction, you, this is what happens is that you drive out to a job with supplies. And, and then if you don't have the right supplies, now you've got to drive to the supply shop, get more supplies, and you've got to come back, and you've got to come and come back. Guess what? The confusion went down, our efficiencies went up, and I can tell you that a clarity happened, and, and I really believe it, it's because God was blessing the business at a different level. I, I want to tell you that, that tithing works, and there's a blessing that comes along with it. We became way more efficient as in, in, in the company. Now, I can't tell you that some massive windfall of, of, you know, we landed a $10 million contract or anything crazy like that. It seemed like business as usual, but pretty soon you start to see, all of a sudden, everything starts to turn back around. The efficiencies start to click into place, and now we're spending less time making more money in the business. I'm telling you that when you understand the principle of tithing and apply it to your life, things start to change and to move. The devourer gets rebuked and gets pulled out of your field so that the fruit can come back in off of the vine. It's what it says. It's what it says. And so here we go. Number one is this, is tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. You can see that it's a test of where your heart is. Is. In fact, there's multiple scriptures that talk about how tithing is a test, but, but um, I want to say this, is that, is that tithing um, is actually a he, based off of a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. It means 10%. So tithing is not what you feel like donating. It's like, here's 20 bucks, that's my tithe. And tithe does not mean what I, the tithe means 10%. That's what it means. And it means 10% of your finances. Doesn't mean 10% of uh, your time or your thoughts or 10% of your prayer or 10% of anything else. It's 10% of your finances. That is what it is um, implying to. I've had people tell me, well, I'm, I'm giving a bunch of my time. Well, you're not even giving 10% of your time, so you, you, know, you can't count that either, right? So the 10%, and I think that a percentage is actually fair because whether you're making a little or you're making a lot, the principle is the same. The principle is the same. So now I need a little bit of audience participation. So you see 10 symbolized testing in the Bible. And you may not know all of these facts, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a cheater um, and, and the, the answer is actually the same all the way through, um, just so you know. So the, how about this? How many plagues were in Egypt? 10, ten right? There was 10 plagues in Egypt. It was a test. How many commandments are there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? 10, right? The 10 tests in the wilderness. wilderness. Jacob, remember Jacob was working for his, his wife. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? 10 times, part of the test. How many days was Daniel tested? 10 days. How many virgins were tested in Matthew chapter 25? 10. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? 10, 
How many disciples were there? Twelve. Twelve. That was, <laughs> that was a test. Listen, tithing is a test. The test in your heart is a test. It really is. It's, it's a test. And it's a two-way test. It's the only place where God says, I want you to test me. I want you to test me. Try me out. Please test me. Come on. Bring it. Make it happen. Test me in this thing. See that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven is what he is saying. Test me. It's like, almost like God is saying, I want to throw open the floodgates of heaven. Please, please test me in this. You know, I've heard somebody say before too, well, I don't know about this tithing stuff because um, it was under the law, and, you know, and now we're under grace. Oh yeah, that's great, that's great. You know what else was under the law? Um, adultery was under the law. That's not okay still. Murder, murder was under the law, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's still not okay. Listen, it, it, just because there's grace doesn't mean the law doesn't exist, right? It doesn't, it just, the grace didn't just say, wipe it all out and delete it. Grace is now the path to get past the law and get, get through the law, but the law doesn't just disappear, right? And so it, it was there, and God, and, and grace fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled the law in many areas, but I'm telling you that, that tithing was under the law. No, no, no. It says, tithing is biblical, and here's what I know about tithing. Tithing actually started before there was a law, during the law, and after the law in the New Testament. So, so to even try to take that, um, that stance is even, you start to look at it and it's like, well, wait a minute. No, even it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible all the way through. It's biblical. And so I just want to point out a couple of verses about tithing is biblical. Tithing is actually in the Old Testament. In fact, in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. That was about 500 years before the law came in. Genesis chapter 28 says Jacob gave a tithe. And that was about 400 years before the law. In Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30, it says the tithe of the land was brought and it was the holy to the Lord. It was holy to the Lord. So holy means God has set it apart. God has set it apart. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, it talks about the tithe shall be set apart. Well, yeah, but, gee, Pastor Matt, that's in, the, that's in the Old Testament. So, okay, so if it was in the New Testament, may, maybe if Jesus said it, what if it was even the red letters in the Bible, you know, where Jesus said it? Maybe, maybe then is something that we could maybe get behind. And, and, and so there's a couple places, but I'm going to look at this one today. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's going to the people who are Pharisees, who are religious leaders saying, yes, you have tithed. Yes, you have given 10% of everything, even your spices and the dill. Like you went to the letter of the law and went through your entire book of resources and gave 10% of everything that you could possibly find that could be considered a resource. And you're giving, like you're dividing it up and you're calculating it and you're doing it all exactly to the letter of the law. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying that, that 
you have to do both. You've got to do one, but you can't neglect the other. Like, like well, well I, I want to focus on the justice and the mercy and, and the love. I want to focus on that side. Yeah, okay, you want to focus on that side? Jesus is basically saying, well, if you're going to focus on that side, don't neglect the other. You want to focus on the, on the money side of it and the finances and the resources? He's saying, that's great, but don't neglect the other. Which other one, like, because we all have one, right? There are some people that will gladly write the check. They understand the discipline and the blessings and, and they understand what, what God's law says. And then they, no problem, we're disciplined. 10% goes right back to the house of God. We understand that. And, but then the other side of it is now they, they are so rigid that they don't have love and justice and compassion and mercy. And, and you know what I mean? Like, like some of us are on different sides of this camp. And for some of us, we don't struggle with one side, but maybe we struggle with the other side. And Jesus is saying, don't struggle with, do both of them. They're both equally important. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. <clears throat> and the third thing is this, tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. It's a blessing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, it says this, and he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. When you come to church, do you enjoy the food? Do you enjoy the, the spiritual food that, that comes here? I can tell you that my kids love going to the kids' church and, and they love what they're learning and they, and they enjoy it. On, on our youth ministry stuff, the kids love it. Women, they go to the love and laughter stuff and the stuff that happens around here and they feel fed and encouraged. And, and I'm, I mean, there's, there's small groups that are happening and, and I'm telling you that the life of our church, that people are getting fed and they enjoy the food that they're getting all over the church. But somebody's paying for it. We're sitting in chairs that somebody paid for. If you've been around the church long enough, you might have been someone to help pay for the chairs or the microphone or the speaker. I mean, you might be someone that has been around long enough to see some of the things that we're doing, the, the kids' curriculum that they're going through, the, the way that we're doing things. And somebody, somebody's paying for it. And it's not just paying for me to, to, to study the Word of God, but, but it's paying for, for people who are in charge of our worship department and people who are running the administrative end of the church. And, and, then, and there's other staff that are around the church that are doing things. And if you come to the church and you're like, I love the church and, and everything that's going on here, somebody's paying for it through their tithes and, and their offerings. And, 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 and so somebody's doing it. I mean, would you ever go to a restaurant, eat the food, and walk out and not pay the bill? You, of course not. You wouldn't do that. But there's people that will do that here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 5 through 6, as we move through, um, it says this, As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the land. They brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God and laid them in heaps. Say heaps. Heaps. There was heaps of tithing happening in this thing. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps. So the, now there's heaps are being pushed into piles. So there's now piles of heaps of stuff that's been coming in. And, the, and they, 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 they got the, the heaps going in there. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. And that's because the agricultural culture, the harvesting was happening in the third and the seventh months. And so the things would come in, in waves. And, and so the resources came in waves. In the third month, they began to pile up in heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. 
They were excited. There are lots of heaps here. This is fantastic. This is really going to help the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest who was the house of Zadok, answered him, Well, since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and had, have, and had enough and plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. Laying them in heaps. So the king sends out his commandment. The people bring the first harvest and the second harvest, and, and the heaps are piling up. Now there's piles of heaps that are happening in the storehouse of, of God's house, and, and, and the, the king comes by and checks it out, and his, he's concerned. He's concerned. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have a lot of supply here in, in, in the house of God. Um, are the people okay? What did you do? How did you do this? Like, do you have strong men running around? Like, did you hire the mob to get the mo- to get stuff from the people? And he says, no, 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 no. Go, no, no, no. This is only 10%. Go look at how the people are handling their excess. Right? That's what he's saying is that the blessing was so much. The king is concerned because he hasn't seen this much. And, then, and that's what he's, he's concerned with. Here's what I find all the time inside of, of churches is that there are two different testimonies of what comes through in, in tithing. And this is this. Number one is tithers say this, we are so blessed. I mean, the reason I can talk about tithing and preach about it and you can hear the amens and the, and, and the, the yeah, preach it, guys. You know, you can, the reason you hear that is because they understand the principle of tithing and they've applied it to their life and they've seen it. People can get, all around here can give you a testimony of how good God is and how they've seen it. And the tithers say, we are blessed. And those who don't tithe, they say, well, I can't afford to tithe. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start to tithe because tithing rebukes the devourer. Tithing rebukes the devourer. You know, when I was younger, I looked at this idea of 10% and I said, God, I don't know how that's going to happen. And I had a a wise um, mentor of mine come and tell me, well, how about this? Rather than looking at 10%, let's look at this. What can you do? Can you do 5%? And I thought, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I could probably make that happen. Why don't you start to just start with there and start to work your way towards the 10%? And, and I know that like the 10% was the standard, but for me, I was like, well, okay, I'm going to start here because that's, that's just, that's what I could do. And I went and I prayed and I, I just felt, God, this is, I'm going to do this. And I know that this isn't what your standard is, but I'm going to start here. And it didn't take long before I was up to the, to the 10%. It just didn't take long. I got to tell you, it doesn't take faith to give the last 10%. It takes a lot of faith to give the first 10%. Because if you have 10% left over at the end of the month, which is what I was trying to do in the beginning, was say, well, I only have 5% left at the end of the month, so that's what I'm going to give God. And I found that when I stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to do 10% on the front side of the month, I found that the blessing of God was there. I don't want you to feel condemned in this area. I don't want you to feel like I'm beating you up. I, I got to tell you that the church is well taken care of. This isn't about, gee, we can't make our mortgage next month because we can. We have, the church has money. We have a savings account. I just want you to know this isn't uh, 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 motivated by that because, because God has taken care of our church through you, through the, through the blessing that he has given to you. So I want you to know that, that that's, that's that. I want you to find the blessing that God has for your life through this principle. I really do. Because I, 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 I could stand here and tell you story after story after story in my own personal life about how God has blessed me in crazy ways in crazy, crazy ways. Anytime I needed to buy a car, God opened the door for me to find miraculous savings every single time. Unexplainable. Just, wow, right place, right time. Yeah, I think there's more than that. 
You know, every time that I, I found myself in a bind, like uh, with, like, I'm not sure how I was going to make things connect, God somehow made them connect. Oh, gee, it was just a coincidence. No, I believe that it was the blessing of God in my life. Here, here's the thing about tithing. You see, if, if you can imagine this, if, if, I, if I was going to go out of town for an extended period of time, if, if I was going to leave town and go overseas for six months and I was going to leave my wife behind, I would, of course, never do this, but if, if this was the case and I grabbed three of my friends and said, listen, I'm going to give you $10,000 each per month, again, couldn't happen, but, but I'm going to give you $10,000 each per month, but I want each of you to send $1,000 a month to Amber to help her out, um, to help make sure the bills are paid. I'm going to try, and you can keep the rest of it. You can keep the 90%. And so I'm gone, I'm, I'm gone for a couple months and, I, and I'm talking with Amber and, and eventually it's like, hey, how's, that, how's the money coming in? Oh yeah, you know, the first guy, a thousand bucks a month, every month, it's awesome. Second guy, he's actually giving me 1,500 a month and I don't even know why, but, but um, you know, that's pretty exciting. And then the third guy says, says you, know, you know, she's like, well, the third guy, he gave me 700 one month, 400 the next, and then nothing on the third month. I don't really know what's going on. Guess what? I'm not gonna be sending that guy to $10,000 anymore, am I? In fact, if anything, I'm gonna send it to the guy who's given her more than 10%, right? Listen, the bride of Christ is the church. I think tithing might be a little bit more personal to Jesus than maybe we're given credit for. It might be a little bit more personal to Jesus than maybe we're giving credit for. We bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we know what your word says. God, I just pray for everyone here, God, you would help us to reconcile what your word says in our hearts. God, for, for, for those that maybe offended or may not like what's being said here this morning. God, I pray that you would help them to see your words. God, I pray that you would help every one of us to be able to understand what your word says and be able to apply it. God, we know that there is a blessing that comes with, with, with tithing, that there is a blessing that comes when we, do, when we obey your commands and do what you tell us to do. And so God, I ask that as we move forward from here, God, that, that, that you would help each and every one of us. Help us to go and pray and seek you and have peace about what God is telling us to do with our finances. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, will you stand with me? We're gonna sing one more song before we leave this morning. God bless you and have a wonderful week.
love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great week.